0: What HIPAA enforcement activities should be watched for in 2017? And what lessons did federal regulators learn from the more than 360 major health data breaches that were reported in 2016? I'm Marianne Kolbysak-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. I'm here at HIM 17 speaking with Devin McGraw, Deputy Director of Health Information Privacy at the Department of Health and Human Services Office for Civil Rights. Devin also recently took on the role of Chief Privacy Officer for the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT. Devin will be discussing some of the most significant trends that OCR saw last year with breaches and also what's next for OCR in 2017. Hi, Devin. Hi, Marianne. So now Devin, I'm gonna ask you first something that I know a lot of people here at HIMS is wondering. What's the status of the phase two HIPAA compliance audits? About two hundred or so CEs and BAs were notified last year about being desk audited. Where do those audits stand and what's next? Well, we are very close to being ready to release the draft
1: reports to the covered entities who were sent notification of a desk audit and who uploaded documents into our secure portal in response. We're not going to send those out all at once. They're going to go out in groups. We The first group could go out as early as end of this week, but we are in the final stages of finishing up the reviews of the work that was done by the auditors, making sure that it all typos are out of it, matches what we got in the documentation that was submitted and getting those out to the covered entities. The covered entities will then have 10 days in which to submit any responses that they want to, and then we'll move to finalizing those reports. So that's for the covered entity desk auditees. For the business associate desk audits, those are ongoing. A lot of those auditees got their notices not actually all that long ago. Uh, there may even be a few who are still in the process of uploading their documents, and once we get all of those, we'll be in the process of evaluating those and preparing the draft reports for the for the business associates as well. So in total, how many CEs and BAS were audited? Uh, 166 covered entities and 45 business associates are part of the desk audit.
0: So now I know that OCR, at least end of last year, had been planning to begin on-site audits in the first quarter of 2017. I understand those plans are delayed a bit. Why and when do you think they'll start up? So we are delaying when we're going to start
1: the on-site audit We have decided that it makes a lot more sense for us to take a look at all of what we had in the desk audit process and actually even prepare the overarching report to the public about how those desk audits went before we move forward with on-site audits. Now that time frame could change. We have HHS under new leadership and we are looking forward to working with Secretary Price and talking to him about the audit program and getting his input into how it's gonna be conducted. But we're very far along with the desk audits. We're eager to finish those up. In terms of the delay on on on-site audits, it's really about not taking on more than we can chew. Frankly, I mean, it, it is an enormous resource-intensive effort, even with contractor help, to be able to do the audit program. And we want to make sure we do it right before we launch a phase involving on-site audits because that we appreciate that that's an intensive undertaking, both for us as well as for industry. We do still hope that we can do that in 2017. It's definitely not going to be the first quarter. I think it's more than likely end of the year or may slip into 2018. The commitment that I'm making to folks is to be transparent 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 about where we are in the process and to try to give folks a better estimate as soon as we can about when we will be getting to on-site audits.
0: So now what else is planned in terms of enforcement or guidance from OCR in 2017? I know during your presentation you mentioned there's a long list of guidance you'd like to issue, but what's top of the list? Well, it's hard to say top. We have a lot of priorities. We
1: have a lot of guidance that is pretty far along in terms of its completion. I would say that it's possible that the next thing that could come out from OCR would be guidance that I've been calling anatomy of a case. Whether we will keep that title or not, I don't know, but it really walks people through a case that looks a lot like some of the cases that we've had, but goes into detail about what violations were found and what that means in terms of the penalty level and how those penalties get calculated, and then what's the process for settlement negotiation. I think it's going to be a very valuable tool for entities to sort of really understand what enforcement looks like but in guidance as opposed to when the enforcers are on your property and we also appreciate that while our resolution agreements and our corrective action plans are online for people to look at that's kind of a sum up of all of the work that's been done in the case and it's not always as illuminating for entities in terms of sort of what an investigation really looks like and so we're going to do our best to have guidance that spells that out and I think that's the farthest along in the pipeline but we have other stuff that's well Underway, guidance on text messaging, guidance on social media, additional guidance for entities participating in research programs like the Precision Medicine, now known as All of Us, guidance around minimum necessary, guidance around body cameras worn by law enforcement and when they arrive at the emergency department. So lots of things in the works, lots of priorities. It's sort of like picking among your children, like, like which one is of highest priority. You know, my goal is to have my staff working at the highest capacity and producing the guidance that I hear from industry that we need and we get it out as soon as it's done.
0: And now I know that there is an executive order about for every new regulation there has to be two identified for elimination. Does this impact any of your activities or any of the guidance that's planned? I don't know that it it
1: impacts the guidance much because the guidance that we're producing is in the form of frequently asked questions and it's not, you know, we're not doing new rulemaking through guidance. We wouldn't be allowed to do that anyway. So it really just is about taking our existing rules and taking some facts, situations that come to light through stakeholder outreach, questions that people bring in through our email inbox and saying, okay, I, I think it would be helpful if we explained how our rules apply to this situation and hopefully that will help people. In terms of rules, you know, definitely the executive order affects it. We have, you know, some rules from that we need to get into place, or at least begin the process of rulemaking pursuant to the high tech legislation. The what we call the penalty sharing provision, involving compensating individuals who have been harmed by HIPAA violations, as well as the revisions to the accounting for disclosures rule that were mandated by high tech. And the extent to which the order applies to those is, we're working with um, with our lawyers to determine because. They are legally required issuances, but the scope of the, of the order is very broad. And so, of course, we have to figure out a way to balance what is a requirement on us to issue this with the new policies involving regulatory issuances.
0: How about the 21st Century Cures Act? There's guidance that will be coming from OCR with that, or are there, like, final rules or anything related to that that you're preparing
1: Yeah, we're still in the process of evaluating the CURE's legislation. I mean, what's very clear to us is that there are a number of areas where we're required to issue guidance, and we are beginning the process for issuing that. There are a number of sections where guidance is required, and it's not entirely clear who's supposed to issue it, but it implicates both ONC and OCR, so I, you know, we've already begun the conversations internally about how we're going to work on that together, and, you know, those processes are underway. It's less clear that we have specific rulemaking obligations. When I say we, I'm talking about OCR now. I think it's a little bit more clear that there are potentially some rulemaking obligations that ONC could have. But for OCR, it looks to us like most of it can, most if not all of it, can be done through guidance, but we're still assessing that.
0: Now, 2016 was a very active year for OCR in terms of settlements, and there was a civil monetary penalty, and I think there's already been one this year and a couple settlements already. Do you think this pace will continue, and what lessons emerged from all these breaches that were reported last year and these settlements, and you know, what kind of stands out as something that these CEs should be really paying? attention to?
1: Well, I think, you know, as far as I'm concerned, we are going to continue to execute our enforcement authorities in the way that we have been with no indication that we should slow down. And frankly, our regional offices who do all our investigations are continuing to bring cases to headquarters that are ready to sort of move forward to either settlement or pursuit of civil monetary penalties at pretty much the same pace as was the case in 2016. So we are business as usual from an enforcement standpoint. In terms of lessons learned, I think it's enormously helpful for entities to take a look at our resolution agreements and corrective action plans because we are seeing some trends in terms of areas of non-compliance. They're very much the same issues that I highlighted in my presentation, lack of a risk assessment and risk management plan for reducing risk to a reasonable and appropriate level under the security rule, failure to have a business associate agreement, which is required by both the privacy and security rules, insider access and failure to deploy appropriate access controls, and then then regularly reviewing audit reports in order to capture inappropriate access, inappropriate disclosure of PHI without doing it securely or, or thoroughly destroying it, so there, there are a number of issues that keep coming up and coming up and coming up, and, and what often brings us in the door is the breach. And then once we're in the door and, and our investigators ask for documentation, what we find is that there are, again, systemic levels of noncompliance in these high-impact cases, some of which could have contributed to the breach, but oftentimes it's just... It's a routine request for the types of information that we ask for in most of our investigations and what comes back and reveals a systemic noncompliance.
0: Now, FDA has been sort of raising awareness when it comes to cybersecurity and medical devices. Where do you see OCR perhaps fitting into this? Because FDA's concern is primarily patient safety, but obviously there's a security, confidentiality, integrity aspect to this.
1: I think our interests in this space um, are very much aligned. I mean, not perfectly aligned. FDA doesn't really think much about the privacy of the data, nor necessarily would they. I mean, that that is in our purview. But we share an interest in making sure that devices are secure. Their reach in terms of the device community is much broader than ours in many respects because not all entities in the device space are going to be covered by HIPAA, either as a covered entity or a business associate. But we work with um, FDA. As part of both the HHS Cybersecurity Working Group, but on other initiatives going forward. And I foresee that partnership really continuing. That similarly, ONC has worked very closely with FDA and with OCR. And, you know, I sort of feel like all three agencies have a lot to be able to contribute, both in terms of guidance, probably most importantly in terms of guidance, but also sort of thinking through how our regulatory authorities can mesh together in order to create a safer environment on the device side. And those conversations have, you know, are already ongoing and and will continue.
0: And as I mentioned earlier, you've also recently taken on the role of chief privacy officer for ONC. I understand this might be more of a temporary thing until... A new CPO is appointed by the new secretary? Yeah, no, that's the case. The chief privacy office is an office
1: that was created under high tech and is subject to appointment. And so I'm serving in that role in an acting capacity, just like John White is serving in the role as the acting national coordinator. And I will continue to serve in that role for as long as I'm needed. We foresee that when a national coordinator is appointed, that that person will likely have ideas about who they would like to see in the Chief Privacy Office, and just as has been the case in previous years, there will be an appointment at some point, but I think we really don't know how much time that will be. I've told John that I am willing to serve for as long as I'm needed, and I'm really enjoying it. I have to, the staff there is just terrific. I'm excited about continuing the terrific working relationship that we had developed in the past between OCR and ONC on privacy and security, and it's been fun. I do a lot of traveling between two offices, and it's keeping my step count up.
0: And also for OCR, OCR now. OCR will also have a new leader appointed by the new secretary. But your position there is a career position. And do you expect you'll continue on under the new administration?
1: Yeah, I'm right. No, I'm definitely expecting to. You're right. This is the job I have at the Office for Civil Rights is what's called a career job, which means it's not a political appointment. I can keep it for as long as I they want me. And and I'm continuing to do good work. You know, my own litmus test for this is am I still able to do the work that attracted me to the job in the first place? And so far, that's absolutely been the case. I really love my staff at OCR too, and I am excited to continue working with them and facing new challenges. And and yeah, I mean, it's not, it, it isn't easy to necessarily wear two hats, but there are a lot of synergies. So it feels like not two whole jobs, but two conjoined jobs, which makes it a lot easier.
0: And I'm really enjoying it. Could you conceivably stay in the CPO role as well as I want to see, or is this just too much to show? <laughs> you know, I suppose it's possible. I think it would really,
1: you know, is it possible that a new national coordinator would want? to keep the deputy director of health information privacy on as as acting director? Sure. I mean, that can happen. That role is appointable by choice. You know, whether or not it still makes sense for me to do both jobs will really depend a lot on whether the work can still be sort of coordinated in the way that it is today. So that, that remains to be seen.
0: Thanks, Devin. I've been speaking to Devin McGraw of HHS. I'm Marianne Kopczak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.